Hi, this is Red West, and you're rocking and rolling on the Don Wilson Show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Don Wilson's Hollywood Beat. What a way to start the show. Uh, yeah, that was Bill Morris that started off the show. Among his many accomplishments, he was a sheriff of Memphis and four-time Shelby County mayor, good friend of Elvis's, and uh, just a legendary life, which, by the way, is the title of his book. And if you haven't got it, you really need to pick up a copy. Bill Morris, A Legendary Life. More information about that, more in, to the show. On today's program, I'm going back in time. That's right, to, let me see here, 1992, I believe. No, actually, it's January 1993, and uh, an interview with J.D. Sumner that I've never aired. So, of course, John Daniel Sumner was the lead singer of the Stamps Quartet, and he, he used to be with the Blackwood Brothers, uh, a longtime friend of Elvis's. He knew him ever since he was a teenager, and... Um, Elvis used to say it's just an honor to share J.D.'s stage. J.D. Sumner, today on Don Wilson's Hollywood Beat. This is Bill Morris. You're listening to Don Wilson's Hollywood Beat. You're riding on a mystery train, and today my special guest is Mr. J.D. Sumner. How are you doing today, J.D.? Doing fine, Don. How's everything in Memphis? It's doing just great, J.D. How about yourself? Oh, everything's doing good. Everything's fine. We're really looking forward to having you here in uh, January. We're excited about it. Uh, this is uh, our first time to appear with a symphony orchestra, especially the Memphis Symphony Orchestra. And uh, the idea of the program is very exciting, and we are very thankful that uh, they gave us the opportunity to uh, sing Elvis's music. Uh, he was our friend and our buddy, and uh, I think it's a great thing. Uh, uh, actually, uh, the Memphis Symphony will be using original uh, sheets from the Joe Gershow, is that right? That's right. Uh, uh, music of the 70s uh, by Elvis, and of course, we know every one of them, so uh, be no problem on our part, because we were there, you know. We, we know every song that uh, Elvis done, so it's going to be simple for us and going to be very exciting. Well, great. Uh, I, actually, uh, how, how will it be set up on the stage? Do you, do you know at, at the moment? No, I don't. Uh, of course, we've been in contact with the symphony orchestra, but I really don't know how it's going to be. I uh, would imagine we'll, we'll be out front. Uh, I would hope so. Mm -hmm. uh, but I know it's going to be done correctly because Graceland's involved and uh, anything they're involved with is done top-notch. Uh, well, J.D., uh, tell us how you first uh, met Elvis. He was a teenager, right? Yeah, he was 14 years old and living there in a uh, low rent housing project in Memphis. And we used to have a scene every month in the North Hall there. That's where we were appearing with the orchestra. Uh, we used to have a sing every month, and he would come to the sings. And uh, as as a kid, well, he was always very he he idolized bass singers. And uh, uh, you know, Elvis always loved to try to sing bass. And 
the gospel part of it. Uh, he loved to sing Negro spirituals and sing the bass part, which he was very good at. But uh, he came to all the things, and one one month he missed. And at that time, I didn't even know his name. Uh, I just called him son when I saw him. He hung around backstage and would ask me questions. How you do this and how you do that. And if I told him anything, I was shocked to remember what I told him. But uh, then one month he missed coming the next month he came back and I said where were you last month son he said well I didn't have any money to buy a ticket I said well from now on you don't need money you come to the stage door I'll let you in for nothing and that's the way he done the rest of the time until about the next thing I knew he was letting me in his stage door for nothing so uh, we've been friends a long time and not only that you shared the stage with him and he would uh, come at sometimes it was actually your stage yeah, during his programs in Las Vegas and Lake Tahoe and on the road, well, he would say, ladies and gentlemen, I've been knowing this gentleman here since I was 14 years old. He's the greatest uh, bass singer, gospel bass singer that ever lived. He said, uh, Mr. J.D. Sumner, he said, uh, J.D., thank you for letting me share your stage. Now, I had about two feet. He had the stage, but he was very, <laughs> very generous, very... Uh, complimentary, very, he's the greatest humanitarian I ever knew was Elvis Presley. While we're speaking of uh, gospel music, uh, he would have gospel sings quite a bit uh, while he was on tour and at home, is that right? Oh yeah, yeah, he, uh, we were in Greensboro, North Carolina, and the Sweet Inspirations did open the show and they sort of goofed up a little bit and uh, he called me and asked me, would we do him a favor and I said absolutely he said I want y'all to open the show with gospel music we were glad to do it and uh, we did it and got two standing ovations and uh, after the show when we got back to the hotel well, he called me back up and said uh, it worked I always wanted gospel music on my show he said it worked I understood you got two standing ovations he said, from now on, you're going to be on the show as part of the act. And, uh, and he said, here's a little something uh, for doing me that favor. And he gave me a check for $10,000. And I said, well, thanks, pal. Anytime you want a favor, don't forget to call on me. Hi, I'm J.D. Sumner, and you're riding on the mystery train with our good buddy, Don Wilson. Hi, this is Ginger Alden. Join me for an evening in Memphis at the Hugh Hotel on August 12, 2020, from 5 to 10 p.m. Tickets on sale at Dick and Spice for an evening with Ginger. We now return to my interview with J.D. Sumner from 1993. Uh, but from then on, he always had gospel music, and then he would, during his stand, while he was out there, sometimes he would stop the show and uh, have us to sing a gospel song. That's the way Sweet Sweet Spirit got on Elvis on tour, was he stopped the show and had the stamps to come out front and sing Sweet Sweet Spirit. What, what other uh, gospel songs were his favorites that he'd like to do with you guys? Well, he, he, he liked an old hymn, Lead Me, Guide Me. He 
You like the lighthouse. Uh, you like my Heavenly Father watches over me where no one stands alone. Or oh, it could go on and on. Uh, he just loved them all. And if he was in, a, in the right mood, well, he would just walk over to the piano and start singing a gospel song. And uh, he knew that we knew the song and could back him up on it. So he used this very much, and the older he got, the more he became leaning toward gospel music. Of course, everybody knows that his favorite was gospel music. You can go down to Graceland now, into the music room downstairs, and uh, look, look at those records, and you'll see nothing but gospel music in his library. J.D., did he ever think about just singing completely gospel at one time in his career? Well, one time we were in Vegas, and uh, of course it was almost impossible to get anybody a ticket for the show because they were sold out uh, months in advance, but uh, Rex Humbard uh, called me. You know, I had Rex to uh, preach his funeral, mm -hmm. but uh, Rex Humbard called me and wanted to come to the show. And I was fortunate that I was the only one besides Joe Esposito that could get anybody into the show. So I got Rex and Maud Amy into the show, and after it was over, I felt like that uh, because Elvis watched and, and uh, listened to Rex every Sunday, I thought it'd be nice if I took Rex backstage and let him meet Elvis. And he asked, for, he took, Elvis took me and Rex and Maud Amy and went into a little where his uniforms were, and we all sat on the floor and talked for about two hours. And he asked Rex, did he think that he should sing nothing but gospel music? And Rex said, no, I think you'd be doing wrong. He said, uh, you do more good singing the kind of shows you do now and having the stamps to sing gospel than the gospel that you do on yours, like how great thou art, he done that every night. And uh, said, I think you do more good and doing exactly what you do so it was in his mind I think someday to sing nothing but gospel music uh, well JD while we're talking about you know uh, him being in Vegas and uh, on the road and so forth uh, uh, I understand there was a lot of practical jokes on the road would you like to remember any of those like you know, yeah one time one time there in at the Hilton in Vegas uh, they pulled a joke on me in the quartet. They uh, sent me word that somebody had called and uh, said they were going to shoot Elvis on the first, first show, going to kill him, and wanted me to watch the audience. And if I seen any strange movement, to let Red was right, Red West was right behind me, behind the curtain. Said if you see any strange thing at all, you let Red know. And uh, of course, I was looking at the audience, and Elvis kept chewing me out from the stage. Say, look at me. What are you? What are you doing? Trying to find a girl out there or something? Else? Said, look at me. Of course, nothing happened on the first show. But then they came and said, uh, for me to get the Stamps Quartet and come up to the Imperial Suite between shows because they had got a, another call from this guy, and he said that he would get him on the second show. So we went upstairs and. Uh, we were standing up there and they had about 20 security guards from the hotel and of course all of uh, Elvis's bodyguards and all of a sudden somebody broke in the front door and uh, they said there goes the SOB 
and they started shooting. And uh, Red West acted like he was shot, fell in the floor, started jerking. And we all hit the deck. And Elvis hit the floor, and I, I don't know why, I went and lay on top of Elvis to try to cover him so nobody couldn't shoot him. And I don't think, even though I loved Elvis, I don't think that I would want to die in my right mind, you know, uh, maybe <laughs> for my wife or my grandson or something like that. But uh, I covered him. And they kept shooting in the suite there, and uh, you'd hear gunshots all over the suite. There he goes. And, and uh, I felt Elvis laughing. And uh, so I, I got up, and I said, okay, boys, the joke's over. And about that time, Sonny put his arm, hand around the wall and shot a blank, and uh, it stung my face. So back down I went, laying on top of Elvis again. Then he just started dying laughing, and the, and the joke was over. But it made me sick about three days. Yeah, he was a very practical joker, very much. Uh, Elvis was also, also uh, very generous in so many different ways. Uh, uh, he gave you actually, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it was a TCB ring. That was the original one he gave you, wasn't it? Right, right. He gave me, a, he gave me 11 rings and all. He uh, gave me a limousine. He tried to buy me a home in Memphis, which I would not let him do. He tried to buy me an airplane. He was going to pay $450,000 for me an airplane. And it would have taken a pilot, a co-pilot, and a navigator to have flown it. And uh, I told him, I said, Elvis, I can't afford the gas, much less, you know, three three men to fly an airplane. But uh, the most generous man that I ever knew. And not only did he do that for me, but he tried to do everything for everybody. Which is, I think is always termed Elvis as being a big barrel of love with too many faucets on it. That uh, he just gave so much and gave of himself so much to to his fans and to the people that he loved until I think that's what took Ellis' life. Well, he gave so much and in return, uh, you gave back to him some things that you didn't think you would be able to do. Like uh, from, from what I remember, you said something about hitting that low note on Way Down. Uh, could you remember when you were recorded way down he wanted you to was it a double low C that he wanted you to hit right right and that is a very low note and uh, Belton Jarvis his producer said Elvis J.D. can't hit that and he said the heck he can't he's going to hit it and so he I had told him stories about Ed Enoch one time or the other one night Ed couldn't hit a note and so I made Ed keep trying until Ed finally got mad and hit the note. So that night, I was having trouble hitting the note. So he he got Ed Enoch and all the stamps and sat on the steps there in the, the jungle, in the den. And uh, he made me sing that song until I finally hit that note. They were just sitting there laughing at me. That was more or less another joke that he pulled on me, but thank God I finally hit it. Yeah, you, you really... You and the stamps really gave Elvis that full sound that he really needed, you know. Uh, and I, I, you know, you always had that good feeling, just like in you know, gospel music. It was always a good, warm feeling, and it was just like he wanted to be surrounded by you at all times. Like a lot of performers uh, are off to themselves, but he liked to have you right there with him on the stage, right? Right there with him, and even in his recordings, he wanted us right 
right you want to be right in the middle of us they didn't like to do the records that way but of course he done it the way that he wanted i remember one time here in nashville they got a studio here in nashville and he came in to, to make a record and they they had everything separated they had uh, the voices and a little booth away from him they had the piano away from him and uh, the drums in one room and he was out there by himself and uh he said, what are you doing this for? I want to be, I want the boys around me. They said, well, we've got to have separation. He said, I don't want it separated. So he walked out of the studio and would not, would not record there because of that reason. Because he, he stood right in the middle of us when he, when he recorded there in the jungle and there at Graceland when we recorded. He stood right with us. He didn't care where it bled or whether it didn't bleed. Uh, and that's the way that he wanted all times. JD, do you have a favorite story of Elvis? Well, I know there's so many of them. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, of course, I guess the night that he gave me the TCB ring was in uh, Asheville, North Carolina. I guess that would have to be uh, the most touching thing that ever happened to me uh, he he was having uh, he had to go to the bathroom while on stage so he handed me the mic and said here JD introduce everybody I'm minutes so I introduced everybody on stage that night so we uh, when he walked back on stage well he he walked over to me and did thing again that I said a while ago said here's a man I knew since I was 14 said he's never let me down anything I asked him to do he done it and he done it perfectly he said here is my TCB ring I want you to have it and I almost fainted hmm. and then the other thing that I remember one time he called me into his we was in Baton Rouge Louisiana he called me into the he called me I had just ordered the steak in the coffee shop and they came down and said that Elvis wanted to see me. Well, naturally, I just left my steak and everything, went upstairs, and uh, they said he's in the bedroom, he wants to see you. So uh, I walked in there and sat down. He was in his pajamas. <clears throat> and uh, he knew that I needed a new bus. So he gave me a blank check and uh, said, fill this out for what you want. I don't know whether you ever had anybody to uh, especially Elvis Presley give you a blank check and said, write down what you want. No. And I said, Elvis, I can't do that. He said, the heck you can't, you can write. Fill it out for what you want. So, of course, I wanted a million dollars, but uh, I did need $25,000, so I filled it out for $25,000, and he signed it. And that was very, very touching, too. But there's so many stories and so many things until... Uh, he was just the greatest, greatest of, uh, had the biggest heart of anybody I ever knew in my life. Tried to do too much for everybody. Was, uh, as we said, very generous, and he really didn't care about money and material things at all. Isn't that right, J.D.? Yeah, it, it, it didn't mean anything to him. Uh, he told me that, that he made $3 million the first year he was in the business. And it got worse every year. Money didn't mean anything else. He didn't. He didn't know. Uh, money meant doing 
to him than doing things for other people. Uh, I don't think he cared about a dime as far as himself is concerned. And that was from the time he was 19 until he passed away. He never had a dollar on him or a dime on him or a penny on him. He didn't carry money. Somebody else carried the money and he just spent it. So he didn't he didn't realize our, the value of money. Uh, he certainly wasn't stingy. Uh, I know he looked, he almost drove Vernon crazy by giving everything away. Uh, they said that Elvis made four billion dollars in his lifetime and gave away over half of it, which I believe. I do too. Uh, JD, there, there's a very nice recitation that uh, you wrote called Elvis's Lift the Building. Right. Uh, uh, how did that come about when you wrote it and uh, when, when did you? Well, when Elvis passed away, he had, to, of course, it was just before a tour. And there was two towns that uh, was ever, every place was sold out in Asheville and Fayetteville, North Carolina. They called me and wanted me to come over and do a show. Uh, do the show that Elvis was supposed to have done. And I wanted to uh, say some things about Elvis. I wanted to represent Elvis. And uh, so I was in my bed uh, here in Nashville and uh, I started making, writing down notes of his career. And as I started writing down the notes, it seemed to all come together that uh, it was, I must have done it in 15 minutes. I must have wrote that narration. Uh, Elvis has left the building. And of course I did that. And, and uh, instead of talking about Elvis, I put it into a narration so that I wouldn't get out there and uh, make a fool of myself and do some things wrong. And, and it turned out, uh, well, everybody was there that night wanted that narration. Of course, I didn't have it. So then I decided to record it. And uh, it was a very, very popular thing. It, it's the only thing that, that Vernon had approved of in that category of things that people done like that. It was the only thing that Vernon freshly approved of himself. Mm -hmm. So I was very proud of it. So we're going to play it here on the show in just a little bit. Yeah, I really want to thank you for appearing on Mystery Train this morning. Well, Don, I'll thank you for the privilege. And don't forget now, we want to see you on the night. You got it. Uh, would you like to say anything to Elvis's fans and your uh, admirers out there in uh, the radio audience? Well, it's just a real privilege uh, to be selected to represent our friend Elvis uh, in this capacity. I think it's I think the uh, Memphis Symphony Orchestra, I'm proud of them and decided to uh, do a tribute to Elvis. And uh, I thank them, I thank Graceland, uh, giving the stamps a chance to represent my friend in such a tribute. I think it's the greatest thing that's ever happened. So we'll see everybody on the 9th at the North Hall, where Elvis used to sit and listen to the gospel things. We're excited about it. What an appropriate place. Thank you very much. Thank you, Don. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that interview with J.D. Sumner. I did that in 1993. We were on the phone, and uh, I called J.D. at his home in Nashville. Hey, you heard Bill Morris earlier. I always want to call him Mr. Mayor, but I've decided to drop that and just call him Bill for the last you know few years. But anyway, um, 
He's got a fabulous book, and it's called Bill Morris, A Legendary Life. Not only was he the sheriff of Memphis and four-time mayor of Shelby County, uh, he's a great humanitarian. It's just chock full of photographs, memories, and stories that you just won't read elsewhere. And if you want to get a copy of this book, you can go to this website, www.billmorrisbook.com. Do it, and you'll be glad that you did. I'll be right back right after this. I'm sitting here with Sherry Evans and Charlie Shock, and uh, we're going to talk about, well, what are you doing, Sherry? Nothing. You're flapping around there like a bird in a leather jacket. <laughs> uh, you know well, I love birds, but yeah. go ahead. Well, you know who we're going to have on the show today. I do not know who we're you are going to have Tish Henley. Oh, oh, that's very nice. My friend Tish. Yes. What can you tell us about Tish? Well, well, I don't know. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I know you. I know your girls are friends. Uh, I don't rat on my friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't say rat. What can we talk about? <laughs> tell us about Tish. I can tell you about Tish. Uh, we met her. Oh gosh, probably five years ago or so. Uh, like every other fan, I started out as an infatuation with someone that knew Elvis, but it quickly turned into a, a genuine friendship. And I love her and her husband, two of the greatest people. Barry? Yes, love, love them both a lot. Yeah. They were just here, as a matter of fact. Charlie? Charlie's cat's got her tongue. <laughs> yeah, well, she got really shy. But anyway, you, yeah, you, you were there that night, in fact, uh, at Marlowe's when she did this interview. Oh, was I? Okay. <laughs> you, don't, you don't I'll remember where you were. Okay. I probably was, yes. Is there anything that the fans should know about Tish? Uh, yes. She's probably one of the most giving, nicest, welcoming people in the Elvis world that I've ever met. Um, honest to God. Well, thank you, Next Sherry. Next to you, of course. Well, I'm, I can't leave you out. <laughs> well, well, thank you, and thank you, Charlie. Charlie, say hi. Hi. Just to let you know, she's actually here and not a fig newton of my imagination. <laughs> now, without any further ado, my interview with Tish Henley. Thank you, girls. Thank you very much. Thank you. I just had to put that on with Sherry and, and Charlie. They're dear friends of mine. And Tish Henley, of course, was Elvis's personal nurse, and she lived on the grounds of Graceland. And we're going to get to that interview right now. Okay, uh, Tish, can you tell me how you met Elvis and how you started caring for him? I met Elvis because he bought the Circle G Ranch, and he had bought six horses, and he had ridden all day long, and he had a sore tail. So he called George Klein, and he said, George, I got a sore butt. I've got to have somebody check me. So George was dating Barbara Klein, who was a receptionist at the office I worked in. And so Dr. Nick, she did a poll. We had 12 physicians there. So she did a poll, and Dr. Nick said, well, I can see him, but I'll have to go when I get to see the patients. So he went down and took care of him. And then a couple or three weeks after that, Elvis had an issue, and he called, and Dr. Nick said, well, I, I did you a favor before, but there's 12 of us here. We'll have to become an established patient. So we closed the clinic down at 5.30, like we usually did, and we kept a skeleton crew there to take care of him. And, of course, I was a DL in there, so I was taking care of him, and we were chit-chatting, and I turned around and looked at him. He was sitting in the chair, and he was looking down at his knees, talking to me, and I just picked him up by his chin, and I said, Elvis, if you talk to me, you look at me. <laughs> so I went ahead and did my little thing, and I started to take his blood to the lab, 
and Dr. Nick had him page me to come to his office, and I thought, oh, holy crap, I'm dead meat. <laughs> so I went around there and knocked on Dr. Nick's door, and I said, you call me, sir? And he said, yeah, what'd you say to Elvis? And I said, so I told him, he said, he likes you. <laughs> so that's the way it all started. How, how did you uh, wind up being a Graceland? Well, Elvis, I tell everybody this. Elvis has a song called My Way, and it was his way. I had two daughters, my husband and I did, of course, and so when Lisa would be in town, I would drive, work all day at the medical group, drive home, drive to Graceland, let them play till 9 o'clock, drive home, and so he decided that I should move to Graceland. And so we argued and argued because we just bought and built a new home. And uh, I was kind of, you know, Elvis used to say, Tishina, when he'd introduce me, this is Tishina, what you see is what you get. And I said, <laughs> I said Elvis, I'm not going to be trailer trash for you or anybody. <laughs> Tish Henley Kirk not only lived at Graceland, but she also went on tour with Elvis at times. And um, let's get back on to how she moved to Graceland in the first place. I had two daughters, my husband and I did, of course, and so when Lisa would be in town, I would drive, work all day at the medical group, drive home, drive to Graceland, let them play till 9 o'clock, drive home, and so he decided that I should move to Graceland. And so we argued and argued, because we just bought and built a new home. And uh, I was kind of, you know, Elvis used to say, Tishina, when he'd introduce me, this is Tishina, what you see is what you get. <laughs> I said, Elvis, I'm not going to be trailer trash for you or anybody. <laughs> so anyway, this goes on for a year or so. Not all. It goes on for a year or so. And my husband had previously been a policeman in our early married life. And he was in the construction business then. And the bottom was falling out of the economy. So he was talking to Dr. Nick one day. And that came up some kind of way. So he called Tommy. Had Tommy come out here. I get home from work one day at the medical group. My husband's sitting at the bar in the kitchen. He says, baby, you need to sit down here. He said, I got a job today. And I said, oh, man, good, great. What is it? He said, well, you better sit down. And so I did, thank God. And he said, uh, Elvis hired me today. And I said, oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. He said, but, uh, but we have to live at Graceland. <laughs> He's going to get his way one way or another. Here, Tish Henley Kirk shares a story with us that is not in her book, Taking Care of Elvis. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this story. If you want to use it, you can. Okay. And it's not in my book. Sometimes, I, a lot of times, I would sneak Elvis out. And so we'd go out the back gate, drive up and down the expressway, or drive around in town. But we had a place over over the park that we liked to go. And you probably know where over the park is where the zoo is. And back in those days, they had concrete benches periodically in there. So we had this one place that we'd go. Now, we're talking about the early 70s or late 60s. So there's not service stations on every corner. So we would go and we would just sit there and talk and listen to the animals and whatever. And so we're sitting there one night, and there was a Tishina, I've got to piss. <laughs> and I said, uh, well, there's no restrooms around here. If you want to see 
Well, she said, I had really got a piss. And I said, well, I'm not going to hold my hand for you to do it. I said, I just suggest you whip it out behind this tree. <laughs> so he gets behind the tree and he pisses. And then that became the place that when we would go there, he always had to piss like a little boy. So I hadn't thought about that in years. And so a friend of mine, uh, I was taking him home. He lived in Newtown. You probably know John Daly. And anyway, I was going down. He said, this is not the way to go to my house. I said, no, I'm going to show you a place of interest. So I pulled in there. I hadn't been in there in years and years and years. And here on this corner, and here's this big old tree, and then there's this tree that's been cut down. And I said, can you believe that? Elvis is pissed. He's going to kill this tree. <laughs> so, of course, he thought that was absolutely hysterical. So then we had some friends here from the UK. So my husband and I were taking them down there, and I showed them. It was absolutely hilarious, because we'd already told them the whole story that Elvis is busy getting the tree. So Andy goes walking around out there, and he's just looking and looking. I thought, what is wrong with him? I mean, nothing's going to jump out and get him. Elvis is not going to come down and slap him in the face. Well, what's wrong with this guy? He's looking around, looking, and he gets beside the stump, and he reaches down, and he gets a piece of the stump. <laughs> <laughs> so we laughed, and we laughed. So after he got back to Williams, I sent him a letter, and I sent him the COA, the bark that Elvis pissed on the tree. <laughs> I bet you've never had a COA like this. <laughs> I've never had a story like that either. <laughs> this recording was never meant to air. Actually, I did this interview prior to my podcast so I could um, write up an interview. And um, Tish, I contacted her and she said that uh, go ahead with playing it on the podcast. So that's why you're hearing it today or tonight. <laughs> Tell us about your book and where uh, people can get it. Well, my book is called Taking Care of Elvis, and it was published August the 15th last year. And you can get it if you're in Memphis. You can get it at Marlowe's, or you can get it at Boulevard Souvenir, or you can get it on Amazon USA or Amazon Canada. You're a professional author. That was excellent. And I can type that right up and I don't have to do anything. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to cut it off there, and that's plenty for a little story and some pictures. And thank you, and we'll get back to our evening. Huh? All right. Have a good night. Oh, you up your meal now. Oh, you, I will. I, I, I like what I used to have, but they took it away. <laughs> thank you to Tish Henley Kirk and her husband, Barry Kirk. Look for me and other celebrities on Don Wilson's Hollywood Beach. Listen to Don Wilson. He's genius. Thank you for listening. I hope you will join me next time on Don Wilson's Hollywood Beat. Remember, I can be heard on Anchor, Spotify, Apple iTunes, Breaker, Google, Overcast, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. Please check out my website at www.donwilsonshollywoodbeat.com and join me here next time. Remember, keep rocking and don't tip over. Thank you.